today, I invite you to turn to Daniel 6. This is our last chapter in our series, Unexpected People, Places, and Times. Daniel 6 is where I want to go. And then, just a reminder, next week, we're going to start in the seven churches of Revelation. So we're going to cover Revelation 2 and 3. Very excited for that. When I began going through the book of Daniel, in Daniel 1, I said there's a question that's running through the book. It could be said to be hovering over the book, and it's really behind almost every action of every character and of every event that's taking place in the book of Daniel. And I think you'll probably remember it because I've asked it a few times. But the question is, how do we live in Babylon? How do we live in Babylon? Of course, I'm not asking literally how do we live in Babylon because I don't know if you haven't checked your area code recently. We are not living in Babylon. We are living in the United States. However, though, what the city of Babylon symbolizes is what it has symbolized ever since really the Tower of Babel. That there is a city of man out there that seeks to make a god of itself and seeks to rebel against the all-knowing, all-sustaining, all-powerful, sovereign God of the universe. And that is the world we live in. That is the world all around us. That's not just this country. That's every country. Right now, the church is in Babylon. We are not living in a golden age where the church is displaying dominance over everything. You can see that very clearly. Rather, we're living in Babylon. So how do we live? How do we live in Babylon? How do we live in the city of man? Right now, in our society, there's lots of responses that people give. Some people will give the response, and this is a pretty popular one right now, we need to flee. We need to run, and we need to hide, and we need to go with all of our Christian friends and start up our own Christian society, and we need to bunker down, and we need to wait till everything clears up. But as far as Babylon, we just need to get out. Get out actually a pretty popular view right now among some. And you can actually see it geographically working out in some senses where you see people moving to places where they're more like-minded with others. So we run, we flee from Babylon. It's a possibility. Another option that people say and a lot of people adhere to is we need to rebel. We need to be protesters. We need to be, uh, what is the word they call it? Culture warriors. You guys heard that term recently, culture warriors? We need to be culture warriors. We need to take back this nation for God and for Christ, and we need to institute Christian principles. So we don't run, we stand up and we fight. Or you have one strand that's been going along for a long time. This isn't new. This has really been all of Christianity and Israel is there's another side that says, let's just concede some things. Let's just capitulate on a few things, you know? I mean, we can give the society some of our moralities. We can exchange some of our practices. I mean, they're just really ritualistic and kind of legalistic, right? So, you know, as far as certain things that we do, but the society doesn't like that, let's just give them over to society so that we can actually win society in. You guys seen that? Recently, that's pretty common as well. I want to ask you, though, 
and hopefully you've been seeing the book of Daniel like I have, where do you see any of that taking place in the book of Daniel? That's right. I don't see Daniel and his friends, let's go run back to Israel. I don't see Daniel and his friends picketing outside pagan temples. And I don't see Daniel and his friends capitulating. But actually, what they're doing is actually something that Adam's saying about, and I really like this idea, is letting the Lord defeat our enemies and keeping our focus on Jesus. Hear that. The response that I think Christians are supposed to have in Babylon, how Christians are supposed to respond in the age of the world and the society of man, is we are supposed to respond in devotion. We are supposed to respond in devotion to Jesus. And let me define that because devotion can be very broad. When I mean devotion, I mean a growth in intimacy with God through his means of grace. Listen to that again. Because to a lot of people, devotion can be a lot of different things. But the devotion that I think we are seeing in the book of Daniel is this. A growth in intimacy with God, or you could say Jesus, through his means of grace. Means of grace is a disputed term, but I'll just give you this. What is a means of grace? It's Bible reading. What is a means of grace? It's prayer. What is a means of grace? It's fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. What is a means of grace? It is meditating on the word of God. It's memorizing scripture. It's evangelizing to one another. A lot of people like to call it spiritual disciplines, but I just like to really think about it as means of grace. God gives us opportunities to, to work in his grace, to take part in his grace that he's given us through word, prayer, meditation, memorization, and more. And what I see happening throughout the book of Daniel, and what you're going to see right here in the book of Daniel 6, is Daniel, he's not practicing running. He's not practicing protesting. He's not practicing capitulating. He's just practicing quiet, simple devotion. And how should you live, brothers and sisters? The exact same way. Let's read Daniel 6, 1 through 5, and we'll pray. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom the satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set, set him over the whole kingdom. And the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for a complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could not find but they could find no ground for the complaint for the complaint or any fault, because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. God, lead us in devotion. Lead us in simple devotion. May we not be distracted 
by all the things we can get involved in in all the ways that the world is telling us we need to go and even what many voices in our Christian society are telling us to do. But rather, would we learn from your word how to be faithful to you. Pray that we would be a devoted people to you in your word, in prayer, in meditation, in memorization, in evangelism, and many more means of grace. God, I pray that you would use this time as a means of grace in our life. Pray all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a lot has changed in Daniel's time. Daniel has been around for some 80 years in this time from Daniel 1 through 6. Early on in Daniel 1, we met Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were just young people. They were youths. But this time in Daniel 6, we have moved a long way from Daniel being youth. Daniel is now in his 80s. Daniel has experienced a lot of life, and Daniel has seen a lot of things. Think about just the transition that has taken place in Daniel's life. First off, Daniel was born in Israel. But of course, Daniel was deported from Israel when Babylon came in and conquered Israel and so becomes a Babylonian. But then even in his time as a Babylonian, he has seen transition in kings. The kings that we have seen is we have seen the transition from King Nebuchadnezzar, but we've also seen the King Belshazzar follow him. But there was even kings in between that. And then right in between Daniel 5 and Daniel 6, and you saw it right at the very end of Daniel 6, we even saw a whole new kingdom come in and wipe out all the Babylonians, and this kingdom is now the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Eighty years of life, a lot has changed. This is not something that we know very well. For, I believe, almost all of us in this room, we have lived in the same country all of our life. For most of us in this room, we might have even lived in the same state all of our lives. For some of you, might even have lived in the same city all of your own lives. And everything has somewhat stayed the same. But this is not the story of Daniel. Instead of in Daniel, what we have seen is that everything has changed. His situations, the rulers, the people who are in power, even the religion that has happened around him has changed. It's flipped completely. But what I want you to notice about Daniel and what I want you to notice about devotion is what true devotion is. Devotion to God does not change despite circumstances changing. Hear that. Devotion to the Lord does not change despite circumstances changing. Notice what you see right here in the beginning of verse 2 in chapter 6. We hear about King Darius coming in, reigning and appointing all these satraps, and somehow Daniel ends up being one of them. But it's not just that he's one of them. He's one of the chief ones. Look here at verse 2. And over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, and to whom these satraps should give account, so the king might suffer no loss. Now, I want to say, We might be tempted at this point to think Daniel, what he's been doing throughout these different societies and throughout these different kings, is he's been taking the capitulation standpoint for how she should live in a society, right? Because Daniel, he's always been well known. Daniel's always been one of the chief officials in the kingdom. So maybe what he does is he just kind of buddies up to the king all the time and he kind of adopts his principles and his practices and so it puts him in a high place. 
But what we see in the text is quite the opposite. Is what we see out of Daniel, while he is a good, law-abiding citizen in some sense, he never abandons the practice and discipline of worshiping Yahweh. Listen to how verse 3 comments on him when it says, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. Who's that excellent spirit? What's really interesting is, That excellent spirit has been talked about in every single chapter of the book of Daniel. Whether it's been talked about as the spirits of God, or sorry, the spirit of gods, or the spirit of God. But even from the very beginning in chapter one, when Daniel was a youth, we found that the spirit of God was abiding in him. And that means from his youth on up to his 80s, his devotion, his faithfulness to the Lord has not changed. And the reason you can know and bank on it that he hasn't abandoned practices of Yahweh for practices of pagan worship is because in verse five at the very end, what is it that all the satraps are jealous of him for and how is it that they want to accuse him? They are angry at him because he worships another God and what they want to do is they want to accuse him before the king and they want to trap him in his own worship and they actually want to put him to death because he worships another God. What's amazing about true devotion is what Daniel displays is it does not change despite circumstances. It does not change from situation to situation. But oh, how we need to learn this, brothers and sisters. Oh, how we need to understand that being a Christian is not like being a chameleon. Hear that. We need to understand and we need to let it sit in that being a Christian is being a Christian consistently and it's not changing colors, adapting, being a different person in your different environments. I had to learn this the hard way in college where the Lord had to do some real pruning in me because based upon my environments that I was in college, I was a fraternity president, I was very involved in campus. I was a student ambassador. I was um, very involved in uh, orientation where students would come into the campus. And what I would do, depending on my settings, maybe I was in class, maybe I was at the fraternity house, maybe I was doing something else, I would act different. I'd be inconsistent. I wouldn't display the spirit of God in all my situations and all my circumstances and everything I did. Instead, what I'd do is I'd do exactly what I talked about. Be a chameleon. Why? Because if you look like a Christian in all those environments, guess what you're going to look like? Really weird. You're going to look really strange if you actually practice what you practice in this room and then go and practice it everywhere else. You're going to look different. And I think that's one of the most difficult things that us as Christians, we have to wrestle with in our life. And I wrestle with it all the time. Is, is my Christian devotion actually consistent hear this is my christian devotion actually consistent or is it like i like to talk about compartmentalized is it consistent or is it compartmentalized what i mean is do i kind of restrict my christianity to you know sunday reading my bible in the morning uh time at home when i'm doing my family devotion but then as soon as i go to the job or as soon as I'm around my friends, or as soon as I'm in some other environment that's not holy, that's not Christian, I begin to talk a different way. I begin to change the way I do things. I begin to um, change the way I interact with people. Brothers and sisters, that's not true devotion. And what we need to learn about true devotion is it does not change. 
True devotion is consistent. And look what it produces in Daniel. Daniel, who has lived 80 years in pagan nations, and guess who's still with him? The Lord. Some of you live like this. Some of you are truly consistent in your faithful devotion in the Lord. And you've done it for a while. And you've been blessed by it. I've seen this in my grandmother and my um, grandparents-in-law. My grandmother and my grandparents-in-law, who are probably some of the oldest Christians that I know, are some of the people who I've seen walk faithfully with the Lord for the longest time. And guess what they've been doing faithfully, consistently? My grandma, for as long as I've known her, she opens up, and we actually have them right in the back, she opens up this little booklet every single morning called Daily Bread. And she reads it, and she prays. And one time I asked her, Grandma, how long have you been doing that? And she's like, oh, I don't even know. Like, as, as long as it's been on the, in the church pew, I've just been grabbing them and reading them, right? And I want to tell you, that's a very simple little thing. But that's the kind of devotion that Daniel's been doing for some 70, 80 years. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that if we are consistent in our life for a long period of time, regardless of if things change, we're going to end up like Daniel, having the Spirit of the Lord working in us still, and we're going to be faithful in whatever context we're in. But you need to know this, and this is a warning to you all. If you're going to live consistently, you're going to get some heat. I'll say this. The times in my life where I believe I have lived most consistently with Jesus Christ, walked the closest with him, practiced the most of him in my own life, I have had the most difficult times with others. Received the most persecution in my whole life. And I want to tell you, if you do the same, it will happen to you. And how do I know it will happen to you? Because the Christian life, to everybody else, to outsiders who see it when they actually begin to live like Christians, they don't like it. I was reading Matthew 10 today, and Jesus just says to his disciples, they hated me? What do you think they'll do to you? This is what they'll do to you guys. Daniel 6. Then the high officials and the satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. And here's the injunction. Here's the ordinance. Here's the law that they wanted to decree. Whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius, sign the document and the injunction. I told you you weren't going to be liked. What are these men trying to do? Well, I'll tell you first, these men love their sin. And you can see it right back in verse 5. You can see that they see Daniel as one of the chief satraps, as one of the chief, chief rulers in the kingdom, and you know what they do? Uh-uh. Can't have that. That's got to be my position. We can't let Jews, outsiders, worshipers of Yahweh take my position. So what do they do? They get jealous. And so what do they do after that? They become deceitful. And they start to come up with this plan, and they say, oh, I know what we can do. We can make a law, and we can propose it to the king, and we can even go to him with flattery, 
We can be very insincere and we can even express praise to him even though it's completely disingenuine. And we can say, King, let's make a law that worships you. Idolatry. All these sins, think about that we got going on. We got covetousness. We got flattery. We got deceitfulness. We got this wanting to worship another, uh, worshiping a man as God. And now why are we going to do it? Because if anyone does not fall down and worship you, king, they should die. Thrown in the lion's den. Sinful people hate righteous people. You must understand that. Sinful people hate righteous people. They crucified Jesus. What do you think they will do to you? But we can learn a lot from their sin right here. What we can learn from sin right here is sin is very much like a cancer. Look at the text. Starts off with jealousy. Moves into deceitfulness. Moves into flattery. Moves into a hatred, which ultimately moves into an idolatry, which means we're going to abandon God and make our own God, which is really not even the king right here. It's themselves. That's how cancer works. That's how diseases work, and it spreads all throughout you. It's the reason why in Genesis 4, Cain was warned by God. Cain, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is contrary to you and you must rule over it. What's the image he's depicting right there? He's depicting a living lion. It will eat you alive. And sometimes we think of sin as something super abstract and detached from us, but it's not. Sin lives within us, and if sin is allowed to continue to live, it will work like a cancer and work all throughout our lives until it eats everything of us up, and we're no longer even a human being. We're just a sinful human creature. And what will happen? We'll be devoured until the point, just like these men, we'll worship other gods, and we'll even want to kill people. It was this past summer, my daughter Ellis, she contracted a skin-eating disease. I believe it was called infantigo. Some doctor can correct me if that's wrong, but I think it's called infantigo. And when we first saw this disease on Ellis, we didn't really know what it was. And when we first saw it, we just thought it was like eczema or a rash, no big deal. And we were on vacation, so you know, who wants to deal with like all that kind of stuff on vacation? Amen. Nobody. But then the disease, it started to grow. And it like was on her stomach, moved her hands, moved to her legs. And because we didn't treat it, because we didn't put any ointment on it, because we didn't give her any antibiotics, guess what it did? It just spread, spread, spread. And brothers and sisters, my daughter's infantigo is just a small parable of what your sin, if it's left unchecked, will do. If you don't treat it, if you don't try to deal with it, if you don't actually bring it to the light like John 3 was actually talking about as we were reading about it, don't bring it to the light to Jesus Christ, guess what will happen? It will grow, 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 and it will devour you. You must treat your sin or you'll end up like a sinful satrap. But I gotta tell you something. When we started to treat Ellis's infantigo, this skin-eating disease, 
She didn't want us to treat it. When we tried treating it, it was painful. It was harmful. And my daughter, Ellis, if she could tell you this, she would. She would rather say, leave the skin disease and take away the ointment. Why? Because taking away the disease, taking out a skin disease, curing something, it's hard and it hurts and it's painful. And I want to tell you, if you're going to resist the sin of the satraps, and if you're actually going to pull out sin, it's not going to be sunshine and rainbows and chipper and happy day. Woo, my sin's gone. No, it's going to be much more like Isaiah 6 was crying out in the holiness of the Lord. Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the people of unclean lips. Sin must be treated. If it's not, it will kill you. But Daniel, in the face of this sin, in the face of all wickedness, stands with the Lord. What's amazing about Daniel's devotion is it's not just consistent throughout time. It's also that as it meets adversity after adversity after adversity, it stays the same. Look at what happens in Daniel 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, that's amazing. He just hears about it. He hears this document that will kill him. This threat is going to come upon him. It will kill him. What does he do? Does he run? Does he petition? Does he, does he concede his beliefs? Doesn't do any of those, like I told you. He went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. Oh no, Daniel, what are you going to do? This sounds crazy. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Devotion should occur as soon as adversity comes. Do you see that in the text? Your devotion to Yahweh, your prayer to him, your seeking out his word, your wanting to know him should immediately come as soon as adversity, as persecution, as threat to your life comes. A.W. Tozer, this is one of my favorite quotes, says, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I think he's pretty right on that. But I think what Daniel wants to say to us is equally as important. And if we could put those two together, I would. Where you go when trials come is the most important thing about you. Where do you go when adversity comes? Where is your hiding place? Where is your shelter? Where do you seek relief? Where do you run for joy long run? Where do you go? Because Daniel wants to say, the only place you should go and the instant place you should go is to the Lord. Devotion is an instant running to him. Devotion isn't, oh, let me see if I can fix this first. Let me see if I can talk to someone first. No, it starts immediately with running to the Lord. So first, look at this. Devotion is instant. Second thing you need to see in this text, and this is hard for some of us to hear because we've lived in this Christianized nation, is devotion might mean you might have to break the law. Listen to that again. Devotion to Yahweh means you might have to break the law. 
That's what he's having to do. Now, I want to say this. Does devotion mean you have to break the law? No. We saw that earlier in Daniel 1, remember? Remember Daniel 1, where Daniel was told that he had to eat the food of the Babylonians? And if he didn't eat the food of the Babylonians, it was going to be death for his overseer? And we thought, oh man, this is a lose-lose situation. Either Daniel has to make himself unclean or his overseer is going to die. And so what does Daniel do? He says, I can figure out a way to not make myself unclean, to abide by the law of Yahweh, but also abide by the law of the Babylonians. What I'll do is test me for 10 days and I'll eat vegetables and we'll see how it goes. And after that, we'll figure it out from there. You don't always have to break the law. However, though, when the laws of man, when the laws of Babylon, the laws of the Medes and the Persians conflict with your devotion to Yahweh, man, we got to be like Peter. You remember what Peter said? Acts 5. Peter was in the temple, which is not a place you want to be as a Christian because the Jews don't really like you there. Peter was in the temple telling all the Jews about Jesus Christ and how he was the Messiah and how the Jews crucified him. You know what the Jews did to him? They locked him up. But then an angel appeared to Peter and he took him out of the jail. And as soon as he takes him out of the jail, he says, all right, Peter, now walk yourself back up to that temple where they took you out of and you need to go tell them the same message. And the Jews hear about this and they say, oh, let's arrest him again and bring him before the courts. And they say, you need to stop preaching the name of Jesus Christ. And do any of you remember what Peter said? We must obey God rather than men. Brother and sister, that's what it will come down to at the end of the day. That's what your devotion to the Lord will come down to. Are you going to obey God first? Is he going to be your priority? Or are you going to obey man? Second thing that I want us to notice in this, about devotion, sorry, third thing I want us to notice, is devotion to the Lord is sweet and it's joyful and it's delightful and it's what we call, theologians call, communion with God. I'm not talking about the table right here. I'm not talking about the Lord's Supper, even though that is an idea of communion. What I'm talking about is actually experience the grace of God through a means of grace that we see right here in verse 10 through prayer. Most Christians, maybe not most, a lot of Christians, I think, they don't actually experience communion with God. They experience union with God. What's union with God? It's you believe in Jesus Christ. He makes you his son. He sets his seal on you, and that never changes. And that's a wonderful doctrine. It's a beautiful truth, the fact that you believe in Jesus Christ. He set his seal on you, and you will not change your status before him because of what he has declared. That's amazing. But within that union, what also has to be cultivated and what should be cultivated if a Christian is going to truly live through trials and through difficulties is this, communion. Instead, oftentimes, it's just a union. Oh, yeah, I know I believe. But as far as, hey, when is the last time you went and talked with the Lord? When is the last time you really heard from him? When is the really last time you met with him? Oftentimes, we miss that. But that's what devotion looks like. And I love Daniel because it relates to just what we were talking about and singing about earlier. 
is Daniel right here. He says, the Lord's gonna fight my battles and what am I gonna do? I'm gonna run to Jesus. What should we be doing every single day, brothers and sisters? We should be running to Jesus. Now, of course you know how this is gonna go. And I gotta kind of move through some text very quickly, so follow along. Daniel's gonna go worship at the top of his tower. He knows he's gonna break a law, but he knows that he has to obey God rather than men. And so the satraps, they're gonna come and see him. And they're like, ooh, let's go tattletale on Daniel just like my little daughters do to one another. And so they go to the king now and they say, hey, Daniel, I mean, sorry, hey, um, King Darius, guess who we found what Daniel doing? Or so guess what we found what Daniel was doing? He was worshiping his God. And Darius hears this and he loves Daniel as we see in the text and he begins to become worried. It says that he was up all night trying to figure out a way that he did not actually have to pay Daniel for the crime that he committed. But as you know, bad company can corrupt good morals. So what can bad company do to a pagan king? Well, they corrupted Darius right here. And Darius is in a position right here where he has to call Daniel. And I want you to look at verse 16 with me. It says, Then the king commanded, Daniel was brought and cast down into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And so he takes Daniel, casts him into the den of lions. And I want you to see something. I'm sorry we didn't read through it. But you can't actually see this because it's not in there. But I want you to notice when you look in verses 10 through 18, you will not hear a word out of Daniel. That's interesting. That's astonishing. Daniel is being drugged to the king and then he's going to be cast into the den of lions. And we're thinking he would be yelling, he'd be weeping, he'd be saying, this is unjust, unjust. Someone save me, someone do something. I think Daniel right here, the reason why he doesn't say anything is because he does what I'm so joyed to hear some of you are doing when you're going through tough times and difficulties and it's the place you run. He's praying. And some of you might say, oh, well, that's an argument from science. And I say, yeah, it is an argument from silence. I get it. But I just want to say, that's what Daniel's been doing since day one. Why would he not be doing it now? And if he could cultivate disciplines of coming to God's grace from Daniel 1 on to Daniel 6 in times of rest, and then he can do it right now, he can do it in times of test. Look what's happening, brothers and sisters. Daniel, even in the face of death, even in the face of his end, he's running to God. It's a wonderful picture for us because it reminds us of Jesus. You remember Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, right before the Garden of Gethsemane, he's eating the Last Supper with his disciples and he's talking with them and he says, my hour has now come. And we know what the hour is. It's going to be his hour of death. And so where does Jesus go? What does Jesus do? Does he say, oh, I'm going to conceive my faith they say, oh, I'm going to rebel or I'm going to run. No, what he does is he actually does devotion. It's like my grandma at 80 years old who opens up her daily bread and says, I'm going to read this and I'm going to pray. What does Jesus do? He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he begins to pray. 
Daniel does the exact same thing. And in the times of most adversity in your life, in the times of greatest trials, in the face of death, where do you run? You run to prayer to the living God. And if Daniel has been communing with God for the last 70 years, why would the Lord not commune with him here? Listen to what happens and how the Lord begins to work. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out with a tone of anguish. So he's wanting to go see if Daniel is alive. He's nervous, he's scared. And the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? What's going to happen? What's going to be said? Verse 21, Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. But this one's not flattery. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless because of him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And listen to verse 23. This is really good, the comment that he makes. The king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted. You could just switch out devoted himself or devotion. Trusted in his God. This whole time, from sitting in the palace at rest to this time being thrown in the den of lions where he's going to be tested. And the Lord, what does he do for people who devote themselves to them, for people who live in communion with them? The Lord communes with them. How will the Lord not rescue his righteous from the day of trials? And what you need to see right here, brothers and sisters, as Daniel is being thrown into the lion's den and as an angel comes down and condescends to him and rescues him out of there, Daniel is a picture of how Jesus Christ rescues us. Every single one of us, not like Daniel right here, deserves to be thrown in the den of lions. Because of our sin, because of our attitude, because of our acts, because oftentimes we're more like satraps than we are like righteous Daniel, we should be thrown in the lion's den. But what the Lord has done in Jesus Christ, the Lord has come down, not in an angel, but in the form of man, and he has lived perfectly and taken our sins upon him on the cross, and he has suffered the penalty of death so that whoever might trust in him would not be put to death, but would have eternal life. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famineness or nakedness or danger or sword or we might say lion's den? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Lord God rescued Daniel from the lion's den, and he does the exact same thing for us in Christ Jesus. And it's as if when he does it, he brings us out of a tomb that is opened from a rock, just like Daniel. And he brings us to him. The Lord knows how to rescue the righteous on the day of trials. 
The Lord rescues those who are devoted to him. But you need to see this weighty reality at the end of this text. The weighty reality is for those who are not devoted to him, for those who are the sinful satraps, they get the lion's den without the angel to come and rescue them. A hard text for our Western ears to read. Verse 25, sorry, verse 24. And the king commanded those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. For all those who will not be rescued by the lamb's bones that were broken, they will face these broken bones. But for all those who have been rescued by the lamb's broken bones, by Jesus Christ condescending to us and saving us, this end comes. Verse 26, Darius says, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall not have an end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And he who saved Daniel from the power of lions. What does God bring about from his rescue? He brings about worship. Every single time. You cannot read a chapter of the book of Daniel without finishing with worship. And if we have been rescued from a mighty redemption just like Daniel, and if we are devoted just like Daniel to his word, to praying to him, through meeting him with meditation, through meeting him, through memorizing scripture, through coming together in fellowship, through gathering together at this fall festival that we're going to have in a few days with the body of Christ, how much more should we sing praises than Darius, the king of the Medes and Persians? If we've experienced the Lord's redemption, we'll praise him. Brothers and sisters, what really sparks praise and what really motivates what happens in Darius is where Daniel started. Devotion to the Lord. And devotion is not running away. Devotion is not conceding. It's not fighting back against the culture. Devoting devotion is you getting up in the morning, spending time with Jesus, going to him in prayer, singing songs to him consistently throughout all your life and worshiping him. Brothers and sisters, there's many things that the culture and even evangelical Christianity wants to call you to do and how it wants you to live in the city of man. I want to contend that you should buy Daniel's account. You should buy what Daniel does. Devote yourself to him and worship him. Let's pray. Yahweh, as we get ready to sing right now, as we pray to you, would this just be a time of communion with you? We know that you have bought us by your blood and we know that we have a standing with you of righteousness for all eternity. But Lord, I just ask that our souls, our hearts, our affections, our loves would come near and come close to you in this time. 
I pray that your Holy Spirit would awaken affections and desires in us for you, that we would want to thirst for you, that we would want to feed on you, that you would raise our inclinations, that our end, our chief end in all of life would be found in you. And I pray that we would have a great resolve to seek you through your word, to seek you through prayer, to seek you I mean, knowing you and all your means of grace that you have given to us. We have a great resolve until we are satisfied. Lord, please satisfy us now with worship to you. We love and praise you in Christ's name.